0: Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Well, glad you're with us today because we're starting a new series that we're calling uh, Crystal, Let's Be Clear. And uh, if you saw that last week or the moment you saw it, perhaps you thought about the movie *A Few Good Men*. How many of you that scene came to mind? If you haven't seen that movie, let me see if your hands. If you haven't seen that movie, it's going to be hard for you to grow spiritually. Really, if you haven't seen that, uh, we had a family go home and show their teens that movie. It's a classic. You've you've got to see it. Uh, you've heard the phrase "You can't handle the truth." That came from that movie, and so did this. Phrase where Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise have this exchange in a courtroom, and it's legal. It's very heavy, like the rain that's falling upon us now. <laughs> and um, uh, there's a scene in which Jack Nicholson is a general, and he's in, he's done some things he shouldn't, but he's screaming at Tom Cruise, who's the lawyer, trying to prosecute him, and he says, "You, if I don't do what I do, people die. Are we clear?" And he says, "Yes." And he says, no, are we clear? And then Tom Cruise has a face on him. you got to see when he says, crystal. And that's the phrase that came to to my mind, sure, as I was thinking about this. But I want to tell you sort of how my summer unfolded and how we got to this uh, series. So I did a lot, of course, do a lot of reading over the summer and uh, a number of things I read. Uh, made this one word come to my mind. It was the word clarity. It just kept coming to my mind. Uh, One of the most powerful things that I read, the most powerful thing I read this summer, uh, was the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German who lived, right? It was just a young man, came in uh, sort of his own in his 20s there as a pastor and a theologian uh, right at the time Hitler comes to power. In Germany, and so uh, he becomes part of the resistance and to, to Nazism. And the story is amazing. And as a spiritual man, he's wrestling not only with the national and cultural issues sort of flooding them, but also uh, the spiritual issues. There was a whole spiritual thing going on that the church was was being influenced by that thinking. And Bonhoeffer considered himself called by God to be a part of keeping clear what spiritually ought to be kept clear. And so he has an incredible view of the church. He he just loved the church. Uh, He elevated Scripture in in a beautiful way that I just came to be very motivated by. He wrote extensively about ethics, so morality and those kinds of things uh, he was clear on. Um, he modeled surrender to Christ. He had a very high view of Christ and his calling to be surrendered to Christ no matter what the cost. So he never wavered, even though (laughs) these cultural and national issues brought a lot of confusion to people of faith in that time. Um, He stayed clear. So in my notes, as I was reading and writing, uh, I have this little pad. This is what I keep, and I take all my notes on it. Um, and I wrote this phrase right here somewhere during that series, or just during my study and reading. And then I get to a page on in his, in his biography where it described him as a man clear as crystal. And now I'm thinking, God's talking. You know, you write it, and then you read it. You know, you're like, ooh, and first, you know. Yeah, it's scary. Kind it's of like, oh, okay, God, what are you saying? So that thought just stayed clear on my mind. So let me ask you, are you crystal clear about the things Bonhoeffer was clear about? Ended up giving his life for it. Crystal clear about the gospel? I mean crystal. Or has your faith become a little hazy? How about Jesus Christ? You crystal clear on who he is? What what about spirituality and what it really means to be spiritual? You crystal clear on that? How about the scriptures? How about morality right now? How crystal clear are you right now about what's right and what's wrong? Or is that fuzzy too? I think a lot of us, it happens to me, I'm, I'm not exempt at all. It's really easy. And a lot of Christians, I'm sure, are not sure what to believe anymore. You ever said that? Have you said that lately? I'm just not sure what to believe anymore. That's the power and the pressure of culture and, and the information and technological age that we live in. They're constantly throwing stuff at us. We don't know what to eat anymore. We, we don't know anything. We're learning new stuff all the time. We're not sure about anything anymore. As much as we know. I wonder if there's a few people in here not even sure they want to believe. Because there's a lot of confusing and competing notions about everything. So I thought, you know, in my thinking about this series, I thought, well, we'll start with Jesus. How can you go wrong there? Right? So I go to Colossians because Colossians is a book, four-chapter book, whose theme is the sufficiency of Christ. And in chapter 1, there's a paragraph, verses 15 to 20, that's the loftiest view of Jesus you're going to find in all your New Testament. So we got to start there. So I dove in, spent two weeks in those six verses. But then got caught up into the rest of Colossians, what came before it and what came after it, and realized Paul's speaking to a first century church who was starting to get fuzzy on who Jesus was, what spirituality was, what the gospel was. They were fuzzy on all of it. And I realized, oh, all we need to do is bury ourselves in chapter 1, and all of these things will start to unfold. And so I got in to this chapter, and, and you come across this statement here. Paul prays at the opening of the book, and he says to them, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints... In the light. Literally, in the light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom of his beloved son. Whatever it means to be in Jesus, light and darkness are contrasted. And I love what one commentator said, and this was just more confirmation, because this is how done... explains this kingdom of light. He said it denotes the light of heaven, transcendent illumination that alone gives, here's the word again, clarity of vision. And what he means and what he comes to explain that Paul is saying here is, in Christ, you come to understand the true nature of things, everything. And everything. Everything. In Christ, you're given a vision of reality. So, Paul is saying Christ is the one who brings clarity to our hazy notions of reality. Because Paul's going to say his lordship is real, and there is no meaning and there is no coherent way to understand anything without Jesus Christ. Not fully, Paul says. In fact, Paul is going to argue. That Jesus is the theory of everything. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. I don't care if it's a throne or a dominion, a ruler or an authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He was before it all, he created it all, and he sustains it all. He's not finished. He is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have, look at this, first place in everything. There's not a thing that can be grasped in all of reality without Jesus Christ at the center of it. That's what Paul is arguing. He's essentially saying Christ is the theory of everything. Have you heard that phrase lately? Yeah, you know, it's been a movie, Hollywood's used it. Well, it's really coming from science and physics. You know, and you know my sort of, I love it. I like physics. Well, right now, physics scientists are trying to find a theory for everything. They're trying to take all the forces that hold the universe together and come up with what they're calling a final theory. All they got to do is read Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, because he's the theory of everything. He was before it all. He created it all. He sustains it all. And it's all for him. There you go. I don't know how more powerful you can get than that. I'm falling apart here. That's, so that's the theory of everything. Now, Okay, so that means, I don't care for science, philosophy, religion, relativism, syncretism and pluralism, pragmatism, eschatology, ecumenism, everything. You cannot understand anything. The whole world revolves, all of reality revolves around him. And let me just tell you what Paul's going to teach us here very soon. If he is not the center of your universe, it will disintegrate. That's what you get ultimately from it. If he is not the center of your universe, your life's going to disintegrate. It's going to just start at the seams, and it's just going to start slowly but surely disintegrating on itself. Now, all right, Paul, help us, because we're not sure about a lot of things, especially spiritually. Spiritually. So Paul's going to help us, and we're going to, we're going to see, because he's going to pray that, you, that we are filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual understanding. That's what we need more than anything else in this hazy fog of a world that we live in. So Paul's going to begin this process of clarity. So what happened to me is I started in verses fifteen to twenty, it was about middle of the way through chapter one, and then it st- and I couldn't help myself; it just kept driving me back toward the beginning. And so I said, "Okay, Paul, what, you're going all the way back to the ge- beginning. You're giving thanks to God for them, uh, of our, for for to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're praying for them because you've heard of their faith and their love." That's what he prays. This is what I've heard about you guys. This is a this is a church, very vulnerable, okay, to all kinds of deceitful stuff, and then Paul says, "I'm, I see your faith and love, and I know what it's based on. It's based on a hope that's laid up for you in heaven." Of which you previously heard the word of truth, the gospel. So you previously heard. And then in verse 6, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, it's bearing fruit and increasing, even it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it. So what he does is he takes them back How are you going to help us with our foggy minds, Paul? I'm going to take you back to the day you heard the gospel. It's the core of Christianity. He says it right here. It's the word of truth. uses the word truth twice to describe the gospel in this text. Everything describing the gospel. It's the core of Christianity. Now, if you're sitting here today, You're sitting here today, and you say to yourself, I've heard that, and I'm still fuzzy. That's too simple. The world is far more complicated. I mean, come on, Pete. We live in a very complicated world. You're going to take me back to the gospel? I've I've heard that before. Well, if that's what you're thinking then it may very well be that you did not really have a grasp on the gospel. Because Paul's going to say, your foggy mind needs to start right there. In fact, look, he's going to say this. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, and look at this phrase, and not moved away, from the hope, there it is, of the gospel, again, which you have heard. So here's what Paul's saying. He said, I know you guys are fuzzy. You're really vulnerable with, between culture and, and everything flying at you so fast, you're not sure what you believe anymore. Let me take you back to the gospel and ask you, how far away have you gotten from the gospel? Because the farther you get away from that, the fuzzier things are going to get. That's what he's basically saying. So the question we have before us today, sitting in this room right now, is how far away from the gospel have you gotten? It'll explain how fuzzy things are. That's what he's saying. So let's ask ourselves. Now, what we've got to do is we've got we to do something really awesome. We've got to look closely at the gospel to find out what it is we're not seeing anymore. I'm going to say this now just for the sake of time. There's an article that came out after the eclipse called The Great American Eclipse Hangover. Soon after the Great American Eclipse was over on Monday, hundreds of thousands of people began their migration home, many driving for hours. Their eclipse glasses crumpled in the back seat like a ticket after a big show. Many are still on the road. They'll show up to work tired and yawning, their skin under their eyes ringed with darkness like a parting gift from the moon's shadow over the earth. I love that. This guy's good. They will remember in spurts the fleeting image of a white ring hanging high in the violet sky. They will remember in spurts. Then I went on to interview people. That was the fastest two minutes of my life, one lady said. Someone else said... Well, he writes, the sight of the gleaming white ring starts to recede in the edges of the mind. And then one lady actually writes after saying, well, what are you going to do now that you're going home? You know, like, I wouldn't go to Disney World. It was, I'm probably going to get out of the sun for a little bit. That's what she said. I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? That's what happens with the gospel. This is why Paul is bringing us back to the gospel. Because what happened is we saw a wonderful truth one day, and now we're kind of far removed from it, and it doesn't seem to glow anymore in our lives. And we've lost some of its wonder. If it's lost its wonder, you're going to get hazy. If it's lost its wonder, if you've got a gospel hangover... It's the reason why you start to disintegrate. So what does Paul say about that? I just want to say a couple things first. This is how you know if you've moved away from the gospel, if you've got a gospel hangover. And here's what Paul writes. Okay? So he first describes the gospel as a hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So the first thing he does with the gospel that you may have forgotten is he puts a future slant on it. That's the first thing he does. He gives it a future character, something that extends past this life, and the gospel is big enough that it ought to orient us to eternity, to something in the future. That's how big it is. When we say gospel, we're talking about the events of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, dying and rising from the dead. Something that should change the horizon of every single one of our lives. Can never be the same. Reality altered completely as a result of those events. Paul says you heard that, and when you heard it, you should realize something incredible has happened on your behalf. When you heard it and you believed it, something in heaven happened. Here's a spatial image. When Paul talks about hope, because he puts faith, hope, and love together a lot, you've read it. Well, he doesn't always do it in spatial images like this, as if to say, ah, I have something special for you over here. That's what he's saying. When you heard the gospel and you believed it, you got something special that's here. And in the heavens doesn't just mean floating around in space. It means with God. My connection to God. I have some eternal connection to God that can spatially be considered in another place with him. That is mine, Paul says, laid up for you. That's literally stored up, reserved, money in the bank. You can't lose it. Live like you got it. Not money you wish you had, not something you wish you had or you're hoping to get. Something you already have. We all live differently when we know we already got a little something, don't we? We all live differently When we know we have a little something. When we're unsure, we're not sure how to live. That's the kind of hope Paul is talking about. It's present tense. It's something. (laughs) Here's a present tense talking about a future spatially somewhere else. What's Paul doing? He's trying to say that when you hear the gospel and you understand what Jesus Christ did for you, you understand that what what God has accomplished for you in eternity. What is the thing? It's an inheritance. I'm in a kingdom. I'm under his rule. All reality has become crystal clear. I have something in the future I can never lose. And like C.S. Lewis said, it's the thing that you sort of, uh, it's the, when you get to heaven, you'll, you'll be going through a door that you've been knocking on all your life. It's the thing, it's the thing you always think you don't have. That's where most of us, I already have it. I've already got acceptance by God. I'm already totally cared for. I'm fully loved. I'm totally secure in the future. Those are the things you and I think wake up every day and go, Hope I get that today. When I was a kid, my, my grandfather was very close to my grandfather, loved him very much. And we would spend time together. And one, he hated it when, you know, when I would cry. And he would never lift a finger on me even though he was a hard, very angry kind of a man. And he was rough on his kids. He loved me, and it bothered him if I'd get upset as a child. And my, my grandfather's way of dealing with it was uh, if I got upset, he'd say, uh, uh you want to see the thing? Very Italian. You want to see the thing? And i go, you know, you stop crying. You go, what thing? <laughs> he goes, the thing. You want to see it? Yeah, yeah, what thing? The thing. Do you want to see it? I go, yeah, I want to see it. Well, there was never a thing. <laughs> it was his way of getting my mind. It was his way of getting my mind off of whatever was bothering me because I'd start thinking about a thing. That's what Paul is trying to do. That's what Paul says to God, except it's a real thing. Paul is saying, you have a real thing. and then I'd be disappointed. I'd go, and then I go back to crying. Now I'm upset that there's no thing. <laughs> you see, but for Paul, Paul is saying, no, there really is a thing. That thing you've been waiting for all your life. It's, it's um, you know, C.S. Lewis describes it as a, a piece of music you've, you've waited to hear all your life. Uh, a, 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 a natural beauty. You, you think you've seen the most natural beauty. The thing you want to see the most. It's it's it's." It's a a relationship with God that provides all of the soul's deepest needs. That's what the gospel gives. That kind of hope. See, that kind of hope frees you from the clamoring and the clawing and the insecurities and the the constant anxiety of wondering what's going to happen. And Paul says what the gospel has given you. So right now, how far away from the gospel would you say you are in light of that hope that is before you? Like right now, is your life just devastated and it's a grind and you can't find joy? You, can't, you just can't, you can't get out of it. You feel like you're in mud? Then somewhere along the line you've forgotten the hope that you have in the gospel. You're insecure about all kinds of realities, from political to to physical, to health, to medical. We have a hope. None of those things can mess with it. C.S. Lewis was very fond of saying, you know, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. That's what this hope is. In fact, it's like um, Fred Craddock describes it as a conch shell. Your heart is like a conch shell. It's It's got this longing for something. You can almost hear it sometimes. And you can put that conch shell up to your ears, and you'll hear the ocean sort of. You'll hear its longing for the ocean until when? Until you put that conch shell back in the ocean. And then you don't hear it anymore. That's the way it is with God. And Paul is saying you already have in your possession the thing that your soul aches and longs for, you already have. There's nothing you can't lose here because of what you have there. And you've gotten far away from the gospel if you're desperately trying to hang on to everything here. In Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis Describes you know this beautiful, beautiful scenario. Screw tape is the senior demon who's trying to apprentice Wormwood, who is a sort of a you know an apprentice. He's a sort of a a demon in training, and they have these Christians they're constantly working on you know, and they're trying to destroy their lives. And C.S. Lewis um, (laughs) he writes this. I didn't read this till this morning. It hit me this morning. I need to go look at this. Here's what he says. He says. The truth is that the enemy, as he's training this demon, the enemy who is God, has, having oddly destined these mere animals to life in his own eternal world, has guarded them pretty effectively from the danger of feeling at home anywhere else. That is why we often wish long life to our patients. Seventy years is not a day too much for the difficult task, the difficult task of unraveling their souls from heaven and building up a firm attachment to earth. Isn't that great? I'll tell you what we got to do, man. The longer they live, the better off we have, the better chance we have of getting their minds enthralled with earth and forgetting what God has provided for them in eternity. And if that's you, then you've gotten away from the gospel if you have forgotten what God has provided for you in eternity. You have nothing to fear and nothing to lose. That's what the gospel gives. I love that line. I love it. Uh, He goes on to say, uh, well, I won't read any more of that. You You got the gist of it. He goes on to describe how he does it, but that'll get you to read screw tape letters. I would do that before I saw a few good men, by the way, uh, just, just, just thinking of spiritual things. Um, okay, that's the first thing, the gospel, a hope, something bigger. He, number two, here's the second thing second thing is, have you lost sight of the power of the gospel to transform your life? We live in a culture where everything has better information for you. We, we, how to work out, how to eat, how to do this, how to do that. We, we, how, how to be more like this, how to, how to get rid of that and do that. We're trying to do all kinds of stuff. And Paul is saying the gospel. You, you're, you're, you're looking for a new way of spirituality. How many of you say, well, I have Jesus, but I need a little something else. If that's you... If that's you, then you've gotten away from the gospel. You have moved away from the gospel. If in any area of your life you say, well, I have Jesus, but I could use a little, whatever that is, you missed it. And here's what Paul says. The gospel which has come to you just as in all the world is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. If you have forgotten the powers, of the, the gospel's power to transform your life, I know you're in therapy and you're taking pills and you got a lot of people you talk to and you're reading books and you're always in Barnes & Noble, the self-help section. I know! That's us! But the gospel can do something for you. And if, if you've moved away from the gospel to find out what that is, then, then you're going to start to disintegrate. Because nothing else can. We tend to think of the gospel, and this is Paul's point here about its power to transform you. Uh, We tend to think of the gospel as the thing you did at the beginning. Hey, look, I left that a long time ago. I heard the information. I believed it. I checked the boxes. I'm way past that. Now give me something else. Paul says there's nothing else to hand you. And if you look for anything else, you're going to disintegrate. That's why I'm taking you back to the gospel. Look at it closer. There's a hope for you. Quit stressing. Number two, there's a power that can transform your life. Stop being who you are that's ruining you. We, we saw the gospel as that sort of set of beliefs, the minimal requirements to get in there. Here the gospel is pictured as something dynamic, alive, and growing. Not just in the whole world, but in you. In other words, a dynamic, living thing. The gospel is alive. It should be moving you, growing you. The gospel does that? Yes, you can't. Yes, that's what the gospel does. That's why he calls it fruit. (laughs) Why do you think he calls it fruit? This is reminiscent, by the way, of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Except this is the new creation. This is spiritually speaking. And fruit is organic. The gospel comes inside you. It's not just something you can contain in your head and intellectually believe. It's got to be something that produces something in you. And it continues to grow. It never stops. You never get away from the gospel. If you do, then you didn't understand what the gospel was. So Paul's going to explain right here in a really beautiful way right here. Watch this. Since the day you heard of it, it's, it could be working. It's, it's working. Look, here's the phrase, and you understood, because now he's going to detail it. What did we understand? We understood the grace of God and truth. Here's that truth again. That's reality. Here's what the gospel does. In the kingdom of light, it makes things clear. Let's be clear. That's what the gospel does. The future's sewed up. Let's be clear. Secondly, let's understand God's grace. What does that mean? How does this work in me when I understand God's grace? I understood God's grace when I was 8, when I was 15, when I was 22, when I gave my life to Christ. That's when I understood that part. What else was I to understand? Well, this is an interesting word Paul uses right here. You've probably heard it a million times. I do not throw too many Greek words out there, but you know the word for no in Greek is gnosko. You've probably heard it lots of times. Well, you take that simple word and you add a preposition to it, and you intensify it. And it's important, Colossians especially, because the Colossians wanted more. They wanted Jesus and a little bit more. They wanted to be full, fuller. And that's what the idea of epigenosco is, a full knowledge. In other words, the kind of information that cannot maintain itself alone in the intellectual, in 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 the intellect. It's the kind of thing that comes inside of you and takes over and does something on the inside of you. It's not just something in the intellect that you check the box. I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus. But I need a little more. No, no, no. Paul says you let that thing get inside you and watch it grow you. It's the kind of information that can't stay in the intellect. It's got to be fully experienced. That's clarity. You say, how does that work in my life every day? Like when I wake up tomorrow morning, what am I supposed to do with the gospel? We had a guy here uh, Saturday or so ago, and uh, his name's Gene, and he, through some really bad circumstances, 17 years old, got thrown into prison, was there for 35 years. He didn't actually commit the crime. He was told he would only get 10 years. Ended up with thirty-five. Then he got into prison, and said, by the time you're in prison, and you get through all this, and you realize you're not getting out when they said you would, and you were there because of somebody else's sin, even though I was a, I was in it, but it wasn't me. Uh, you know, you could get really hard-hearted, and I, I got angry. I was angry at the people that got me there. I was angry at the legal system that put me in there, and I was angry at the people that I was with inside the prison because it got violent and it got nasty. And you do that all these years. Well, he comes to Christ in there. And, man, this man's story is absolutely overwhelming. It'll be one of those things that I, I won't forget. And if you've never heard it or seen it, he's got a book out. You ought to read it. And if, you, if we, we can show it to you, I think we have it on film, I'd make sure I saw it. It was profound profound. I won't get over it anytime soon. Well, I jotted down a little anecdotes that this little guy said, Man, man who didn't even know what a cell phone was when he got out, because this was 1977 when he went in there. And I love this. He goes, you want to talk about anger? I give my life to Christ. I'm thrilled. And then God says, I need to deal with all the anger you have for everybody. And he's like, I don't know if I can do that. He said it didn't take him long to realize how God was going to get rid of all that anger inside of him. He says, You know what I came to realize? I came to realize, and this is the quote. I wrote it down the day he said it. He said, My sin against Jesus was far worse than anything ever done to me. And I went, Are you thinking? Oh. He so said, What do you need to get over anger? You need therapy? Need a soft pillow? Need a puppy? No, you know what you need? You need to realize how angry you made God and how he was willing to forgive you. And then you'll be able to forgive other people. You can't stay angry. You say, how did he figure that out? That's the gospel. The gospel is God was so angry at you for what you did, and yet he gave his life for you. That's the gospel. That's reflecting on the gospel in a way that will bear fruit and increase, change every relationship you have. All you have to do is reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And he said, I can't stay mad. Oh, my gracious. See, that means the gospel then is not just something that happened to you in the past. It's the touchstone. You never wake up without it being right here and touching it. You never get far down the road from it. Oh, the gospel was way back there. I'm way down here now, and God's not coming through for me. I'm telling you, you wake up every morning, and the touchstone of your discipleship, the touchstone of your Christian growth, of your spirituality, is what Jesus has done for you. So let me ask you this. When was the last time? This is just tell you how far away from the gospel you've moved. When was the last time the generosity of God stopped you dead in your tracks? You were dead set on hating somebody. Dead set. It stopped you in your tracks and said, you can't can't feel that anymore. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time the generosity of God toward you? Said to you, you can't keep that. You've wanted it. You need it. You've, you have earned it. You can't keep it. And his generosity completely changed your mind about what you valued. That's the power of the gospel. It's tra- you think the gospel can transform you, by the way? That's what transforms you. When was the last time the generosity of God towards you stopped you dead in your tracks in the way you treat people? You're just pissy. And you let yourself off the hook as if some, no one has treated you special and overwhelmed you with generosity. Rotten to the core as we are. think that'll change the way you treat people? Hey, you want to read a book on self-help? Read it. Or just reflect on the gospel tomorrow morning so hard that it drops you to your face and puts you on a new track. You can't even help it. Amen? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is the last thing I'll say to you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, things are getting hot in Germany. He's really turning up. And it looks like he might, he might have to pay a high price for the voice that he has been in Germany during Hitler. And he gets an opportunity to come to America. Somebody wants to hire him as a professor. He's a great theologian. Gets on, a plane, gets on a plane and boat and everything else, gets here, gets here, and he happened to be in London at the time. He comes from London to there, and he is uh, given this job, and every night he goes to bed, and he's, he's literally shaken. He goes, I can't sleep. I know God. it would be so easy for me to take this job. It would be lucrative. I would leave the church of Germany and the And behind. I would leave the values that I've stood for all my life behind. I could take this job, and it'd be easy, and and the Spirit will not let him sleep. And he realizes after just a few days, I cannot stay here in America. God has called me somewhere else. The chapter in the book is called The Great Decision. I'm going to tell you what happened to him as a result of that decision, and he knew it was going to happen. He had a premonition the whole time. He was eventually imprisoned, and then he was hung. And he knew those things were going to happen. He still got his behind on that boat. He still said, I cannot stay here in America. And in his journal, which we're just so fortunate to have, he writes this, When the confusion When you're following Christ and you get confused, hazy, confusion and excuses, desires and fears make everything obscure. I love the line, make everything obscure. All of a sudden, you don't don't see anything clearly. I love what he does, and it's a great irony. It's a great irony. He says, God sees quite clearly into our souls. I was like, oh my gosh. Here I am fuzzy about following him. Christ sees very clearly into me. God's crystal clear about who I am and what he's done for me. And then he says, at the heart of those secrets, at the heart of who I am, He finds in me a name which he himself has inscribed, Jesus Christ. So too, one day we shall see quite clearly into the depths of the divine heart, and there we shall then be able to read, no, see a name, Jesus Christ. God sees clearly in us, and one day we will see him completely crystal clear. And then he's fond of writing poems, and he wrote this. Is it on? Did it just go away? This is in his journal, in the same chapter. He's struggling. The beginning and the end, O Lord, are thine. The span between life between life was mine. I wandered in the darkness and did not discover myself. Look at this line right here. With thee, O Lord, is what? Is clarity and light in thy house. With Jesus Christ comes crystal clear light about who we are, what we have, and where we are headed. Anyone here not crystal clear? Clear at the moment? Don't be fuzzy about those things. Father, I lift up everyone in this room because there might be someone in here who's never heard the gospel. Not clearly, Lord. And they understand what you've done for them. And today I ask that they surrender their lives to you. Realize what the death and resurrection has accomplished on their behalf. And, Father, I also pray that for those of us, Lord, who've got sort of a gospel hangover, and we're trying to figure out how to do life when we have the gospel, the truth, a vision of reality enlightened by what your Son has done for us. And may we let it demonstrate its power in our lives until the day We are together with you what our souls have longed for all our lives. Father, bring that home to us in Jesus' name. Amen.